Hello and welcome to Life Beyond the Numbers, the podcast for people who are curious about how to have a more fulfilling work life. We live in a world largely driven by numbers, logic and reason. But how we feel at work and about our work impacts us, our organisations and society. There is a relationship between the numbers of our organisations and the life beyond the numbers. I'm Susan Michrielon, your host. I've lived and worked in many countries. I've met people who love what they do and people who don't. People who bring their full selves to work and people who won't. But one thing that I've learned that is common to us all is that we are all unique and have unique experiences. And it's helpful to know that there are others who think like we do, or have had struggles too, or have gone where we want to go, or can show us things we didn't know. So join me and my guests as we place a lens on the human side of work life by sharing insights, stories and strategies to inspire you to let your uniqueness shine. Well, today I am absolutely delighted to welcome Beth Stallwood to Life Beyond the Numbers. Beth, you're so welcome. Thank you so much for having me here today. I am very excited for our conversation. So am I. And we have to press record. Otherwise, we may have had this conversation <laughs> already. <laughs> We'd have gone and got on our soapboxes about stuff and had the chat and no one would have been able to listen to it. So it's good that we're recording now. It's good that we finally hit record. I've just read your book, Work Joy, and we'll talk about that as we go through for sure. But I was really struck in the introduction because you talk about what everybody thinks about what they want to be when they grow up or they're asked Mm. this question. And actually, it was the very first question I asked my very first podcast guest. And and there was a reason for that as well. So today, Joy, tell me, this is only the second time I've asked this question. What did you want to be when you grew up? Uh, So it's a really interesting story. And I did a lot of like Amdram when I was a kid and loved being on the stage. And I remember it so clearly that it it was like it could have been yesterday, but I was probably late teens-ish. I was doing a play and the director of the play, who's a big old family friend, um, he said to me, oh, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I turned around to him and I said, happy. And he looked at me like I was insane for a moment. And then he was like, oh, actually, that's a really good thing and so often when we say that question we're expecting kids to say things like I want to be a fireman or I want to be a doctor or I want to be an astronaut and we're expecting to define our lives by the job that we want to do and even as a grown-up so many people the first question they ask people is what do you do for a living not whether you like it not whether it's great not whether it brings you joy and I'm thinking here like we could change some of that And we could have a different kind of association with our work and we can do work that is so much more joyful than um, we ever expected it to be. Because I also think there's this big, and you see it on social media all the time, like, oh, hump day, you've got to get through the week and how terrible work it. When actually human beings without work don't actually work. Humans are designed to work. We are like inbuilt for us and it's really good for us. And sometimes we're just misaligned with the work that we're doing or how we interpret the work we're doing. 
Absolutely. And I think we think as well that happiness is for someone else. But before we go to that, what came up as you were talking was, I remember my mom telling me not so long ago that she went to, I think it was like a parenting course when we were kids. And she was asked that, what do you want for their kids when they grow up? What do you want them to be when they're due or whatever, when they grow up? And she said, happy. And she said, again, the chorus person, yeah. like, what is wrong with you? You know, <laughs> Don't you want them to be whatever? But I think we start off down that road, Beth, many of us taking our first job and not having the expectation of happiness or joy, but just having to do this. And, you know, some of my clients have said to me, well, happiness and joy at work is for other people, not for me. And I always find that quite heartbreaking. Yeah, I do. And I think it's one of those interesting things. And I I would probably caveat happiness now around a couple of things. I think happiness is a very big goal to put on yourself. And I think happiness is very influenced also by external factors. So real life happens the crap happens, the good stuff happens. And the idea of trying to be happy all the time, I don't actually think is a realistic goal. So I will caveat my 16 year old self saying I want to be happy. I get you completely. Yeah. I think now what I like to think about is what do we bring to ourselves? They're so talking about, you know, people thinking maybe the expectation isn't there of happiness or the expectation is there that everyone else will make them happy and that they just have to come and be a passive participant in work and it's all up to other people so I'm really really big on the idea of really good personal responsibility towards your own joyfulness happiness good stuff whatever you want to call it some organizations might call it engagement some people might call it happiness some people might call it joy whatever you want to name it that good feeling you get when you're at work how can you create more of it yourself? How can you put yourself in the right mindset and in the right place at the right time to be able to get that feeling more often? But it's not something other people give to you. It's something that you can create for yourself. And sometimes it's harder to create it because you're in an organization that maybe doesn't align. And sometimes it's easier to create it because you put yourself in a place that really can make a difference for you. Absolutely. And just a like happiness you don't have to have it all the time because no. life happens at work too yes <laughs> and you know what like there are there's always going to be stuff in your work that you enjoy doing less now I have worked for myself for seven ish years now I work with people I want to work with I have the luxury of choosing a lot of the work I do and I get to work in a space where I get to use my skills you put all the ingredients in I have got great ingredients for a joyful working life. Brilliant. And obviously, if I couldn't do it, I couldn't really tell everyone else in my book how to do it. So I've managed to create that for myself. But equally, I still have to fill in tax return. Sometimes people make me fill in forms, which is like my <laughs> least favourite thing in the world to do. So is it that I get joy all the time? No. Is it that I can work around those things that don't because I have enough joy in my bucket to cover that stuff? Yes. And what I find is the more you can build up the things that do bring you joy, those things just become stuff you have to do. They don't become the things that bring you gloom, the misery, the really annoying stuff. They're just stuff and you just do them and you work through it because you've got like a bucket full of joy that just covers you for those situations now you are so full of joy 
it's like you're overflowing with it as you speak and so for someone listening Beth is it a personality trait no no it's not a personality trait with the exception of it's a personality trait of people who can take responsibility for themselves that's the personality trait that you're looking for so there are some people who want to be passive participants in their working life the people who can be and have a personality trait of taking ownership of action that's the personality trait that will get you more joy not a personality trait if I'm just a happy person or I'm just a miserable person it's not about that the trait that you're looking for is engagement and action that's the one that will make a difference then if I'm listening to that how do I know because it's very easy to go to work every day and think, well, if only they did this and if only that happened, then everything would be fine. Yeah. Yeah. So number one, that is expecting everyone else to align around what you want and the way that you want it done. And I will say this, like, I'm like a very extroverted Look at what my hands do when we talk. If you're the people listening now won't know, but my I've got flappy hands. That's how I but if your version of being joyful at work is sitting and looking at a spreadsheet and making numbers round up, I see this is how little I know about spreadsheets, making numbers round up. Or if your version of joy at work is sitting quietly and getting a big project over the line, that is your version of joy. Mine is a very loud, overbearing version of joy. It's way too much for some people, but that doesn't mean to say it's everyone's version of joy. So what I would say is it's deeply personal, what your version of joy looks like. It is based on your personality, your preferences, how you like to work, the people that you work with. All of these things are kind of those ingredients in the cake of work joy if we talk about it that way but there will be external factors and the question that I always say to people is how much time do you spend thinking about it so if you're going to work and you're in that constant state of feeling a bit like I call it feeling meh about work a bit meh I have yet to find even though it's a rubbish word I've yet to find a better word that describes that kind of like general malaise maybe languishing was a word that was around last year a bit wasn't it yeah yeah like languishing you're just not feeling it you don't feel buzzed by it yeah it's a great word though because everyone knows what it is (laughs) and we all get that feeling sometimes about some of our work but if you're feeling that feeling more often than you would like to or you're feeling it's harder to get out of it one of the things I always recommend everyone to do is to just take a week whatever your working week looks like, let's go with the average, which is a Monday to Friday. Start on a Monday, finish on a Friday. If it's Tuesday to Sunday or the weekend, whatever it is, whatever your workday looks like, is to just start tracking those little micro moments of joy. And I've had people, if the first exercise I get anyone to do if they're coming on my coaching program, it's actually a free download on my website. You can go and do it. It's called Work Joy. How do you get yours? So just understanding, first of all, what brings you that joy. And you just track for a week. You track it. You just write it down. And at the end of the week, you do some reflection on it. And I've had people who do this activity and they go, really interesting. What I've worked out is it's actually nothing to do with any of the activities I'm doing. It's the fact that at two o'clock in the afternoon, I lose all energy. And then whatever I'm doing at two o'clock in the afternoon, I'm miserable. That's a different problem to solve. I've also had people who come along and they go, the problem is this particular person. Therefore, I need to build that relationship with that person. Or they go, actually, the amazing thing was I realized that these tiny moments, there's hundreds of them. But what I've been doing is looking at this massive pile of great stuff. And this one tiny little thing over here that has brought me some misery. I'm just focusing my attention there. 
because we all have negativity bias in our brain. We look at the stuff that feels like it's wrong. And some people are just like, well, actually, my world is entirely better because I now know that all these things are great. So I can build on those things and I can do it. So what it gives you is just a sense of, for me personally, what is it that brings me some joy at work? Is it that I love it when I get to speak to people? Is it that I'd rather not be on a Zoom call? Is it that I love it when we actually move through a project rather than talking about it? Whatever it is, you can build up what those things are. And if you understand them, if you notice what they are, you are more likely to be able to do more of them, to notice them more, to be grateful for them, to do all of the psychological stuff that helps you focus on that good, positive, engaged, joyful moments. And not to look for the things that are like, the champagne popping joyful moments, like the look at this amazing thing I've done, but to look at the little tiny, wasn't amazing when I had a coffee with my colleague. It was brilliant when that email went out. I felt great when that spreadsheet all added up. It's the tiny, tiny, tiny micro moments. And if you can do that, you can build more of those in. So knowing number one is the first step. What does actually bring you some joy? Oh, that's brilliant. And as you were talking, I was thinking about one time when I resigned from a job that really (laughs) was bringing me no joy whatsoever. And I hadn't been there a very long time, but I knew it wasn't for me. And I made the decision to go. And the manager, the director, whoever I was reporting into just accepted my resignation, which really annoyed me because there was no question of like, why are you leaving? So I said, because this was the only joy I was getting every day. I said, I figured out that the only reason I travel an hour to work and home every day is so I can swim at lunchtime. <laughs> right. So the swimming was the joyful moment. Yeah. And if you can figure out and you're like, well, that actually isn't my job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Therefore, the job probably needs to change. But I know something about life joy. And I think this is an important thing. Work and life are not two separate things. Agreed. And if anyone says to me, work-life balance, it gives me the shivers. And I'm like, why does work come first? Work is part of your life. They're not two separate things you're trying to balance. You're trying to have life, of which work is an important part. But what I always think here is like, if you can build life joy, you will automatically build work joy. If you can build work joy, you'll automatically build life joy because you'll feel better about stuff. And when we feel better about stuff, We know the psychologists, everyone, I'm not a psychologist, but they will all tell you when you feel better, you make better decisions. You have more perspective on life. You're able to deal with things more rationally. When you're in that state of being a bit meh or even worse, like properly gloomy about stuff, we make rash decisions. We escape from stuff rather than going towards things. We end up out of the frying pan into the fire often because we haven't fixed the problems that are within ourselves to then be able to go and do the good stuff. Absolutely. And you use that word gloomy because there are two phrases or two repeating terms throughout your book, work joy and work gloom. And I really like the contrast. So maybe you talk a little bit about those two. Yes. So if you think about this, work joy is everything at work that might bring you joy from that tiny little moment to like the big picture stuff, everything in between. If you think about like a graph, the middle bit would be neutral, which is just stuff happening not good not bad just stuff there's probably a big neutral bit work joy is anything that goes above it it's that moment of I feel good about that that made me smile I feel proud of that this is a great moment so everything above that fits into those below the neutral is anything in what I would call in the work gloom space when I first started writing the book it had more profanity located in what that was called which you could probably work out but we decided that 
from a getting it out of their perspective, let's not be too effing and jaffing about what we do. So it's now called work gloom and the gloom factor, and I actually quite like the word gloom better than I like the profanity actually, because gloom is like a cloud that kind of clums over you. It's that doesn't feel great. Maybe it's a moment, maybe you're having a challenge with a relationship. Maybe it's that, you know, your team can never get to the point of getting over the edge with a project. Maybe it's that the coffee is really bad at work and it's affecting your mood. Maybe it's that it's the winter and you go to work in the dark and you come home in the dark. And because you've decided to sacrifice your lunch break for what seems like the greater good, when actually you should be reclaiming your lunch break and getting out and getting some sunshine because you're a human being and you need to be outside, you've got stuck in that just feeling rubbish about it. And I'm just picking random examples here. Is there anything below the line is gloom? Now, we cannot completely get rid of gloom. It's not possible because we cannot control any other human being's behavior. And as much as we would like to, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could control everyone? We can't, the only behavior we can control is ourselves. So at some point your boss may shout at you. At some point you um, might have to work with someone you don't particularly like, or you don't have a similar style to. At some point you might be given a project that you're like, oh, I just don't want to do it. Moments of gloom. You're going to have to deal with those. What I like to think about is how quickly can you recover from those gloomy moments and how can you build so much joy into your work that they move up to neutral because it's just something you have to do. I think contrasting is such a helpful way to think about things. And it's something I noticed throughout the book that there is contrasting, which really helps because we're always on that spectrum, aren't we? Always. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you cannot have a 100% positive life experience because actually, and I don't know if you've ever watched the um, Disney uh, Pixar movie. I've totally forgotten what it's called now. The one about the feelings and emotions. The one about, the, yeah, yeah, it's all about, yeah. and they try and like get rid of all the bad feelings. Yeah. They just join it, doesn't work, yeah. and everything falls apart. What's it called? I have to remember, I'll, I'll, I'll come back to you with what it's called. Anyway, it's the idea that you can't have that, that life doesn't work like that but we can build resilience to those things and we can build more of the positive stuff and we can be better able to cope with the stuff that isn't so good to be able to more speedily get out of that. Maybe if it is a boss who's speaking to you in a way that you don't like, to feel like you have the agency to go and have a conversation with them about how they could get the best out of you rather than just accepting this life for yourself so I inside out that's what the movie's called I knew if I kept talking it would come up to it it is it, the idea that we we need all of these human experiences and they actually make us stronger and make us bigger and in real life we have experiences that aren't so good as well we have grief and relationship breakups and friendships that don't last the you know all these things in life happen as well there's good moments there's bad moments what we want is more good moments but to be able to have the resilience to deal with the not so good stuff as well Yeah, and one of my podcast guests uh, talked really well about this as well by saying that actually, if you don't experience gloom, for example, how will you know when you experience joy? That actually you need to have that, you know, what's the opposite feeling to move towards something. Yeah, and like have the full range of human emotion. Absolutely, absolutely. Like that's okay. And it's okay to accept that one day, like some days I'm just like, oh, I'm just feeling a bit mad today. That's okay. Not to judge it, but just to go, I'm feeling a bit meh. What's the reason for that? Can I do anything about it? 
maybe not. Maybe it's just like I've got the bed on the wrong side. It's okay to feel it and accept it and know that there are other things that can happen and that you can do stuff that will help you. You can do stuff. And I think that is often the part that we fall down on. Mm -hmm. You have three E's throughout this book as well. And yes. I love that. There's the repeating in every chapter, <laughs> not repeating, but that you get very used to the structure of seeing that coming up. Mm. Engagement, energy and experimentation. Yes. So we need to think about, like I always think about it as the, the work joy formula, is that how do you actually go from where you are to getting more joy in your life? And there are a few things that I think you have to be able to do to do this. So if I talk about energy, one of the things I always think about is how do you actually put some energy into the stuff that you want? So rather than putting energy into the negative stuff, which we so often do, we give it more energy. So we moan about stuff. We tell our friends about the bad stuff that's happening. We get into the zone of focusing and like, about the stuff that isn't so good. We need to think about where we're putting our energy because we can't put it everywhere. So there's some selectiveness of things to do around energy. We have to engage with the idea that we have some agency, that we can change our mindset, that we can think about different things, that there's a different route, that there are different options. And then with the experimentation, because there is no one singular way of doing this stuff, because we're all different, right? One of the things that give me the biggest amount of work joy is standing on stage in front of loads of people and giving a talk. Like, I love it. I spent 20 years at drama school. Give me a stage. Like, I'm the happiest <laughs> girl on earth. Right? I love it. It's my happy place. But there are about a million people in my vicinity who would say that is their idea of their worst nightmare. Right? So totally, our work yeah. joy is unique. It yeah. is unique yeah. to us. And... If we just have one method for doing it, it's only going to work for people who think like me and have my life experience and have all these other things, which is not who everyone is. So what I like to think about is how do you do some experiments that get you to understand what works for you and what doesn't, which includes things like having the mindset that it's okay to try something and it not work. Right? So for me, things I have tried to build my joy in my life are things like I have tried to be really structured with my week because I think that would really help. <laughs> my personality type doesn't allow for structure. It's like not particularly great at it. I have to buy in resources that help me be more structured. It's just not who I am. So that's an experiment that fails, but it taught me something about stuff. An experiment that really worked for me is trying to have blocks of time occasionally where I have some thinking time blocked in. Otherwise I would just fill my diary completely. So it's, doing some stuff and taking some action. And here's why I always think about it. It's like taking one step forward feels way better than standing still. Even if when you take that one step forward, you have to go back and rethink it. It still feels like progress because you either learn something that will help you and you can repeat it, or you learn which a route not to go down is. So there is literally no way of failing at it because even if the experiment doesn't work out, you have learned something. So that's where the experimental mindset comes in. So you have to engage with it. You have to think about it. You have to know there's options. You have to have the right mindset. You have to be able to put your energy into something and you cannot fix all the problems at once. So my recommendation is start tiny. Start with the smallest thing you could possibly do. I think I said earlier about somebody who had worked out that their whatever they were doing at 2 p.m., they were miserable. 
And what they realized is that they were working through their lunch break and not seeing the light of day. So at 1.30, they decided to do a walk around the block and 2 p.m. was no longer miserable for them. Just that like was that. the simplest solution. And you would never yeah. go, you wouldn't ever put together, generally, if you're miserable, you need to go for a walk. No. But it worked. Yeah. For that person. For that person. Yeah. For other people, it might be something totally different. But that's where experimenting with stuff, doing tiny little things, tiny little changes that are actually able to be sustained in your life versus the New Year's resolution version of I need to change everything about who I am and my personality and my body and my spirit and everything within the next two weeks in the most miserable, darkest time of year. And I never need to eat, I can't eat chocolate or have caffeine. And I need to spend 12 hours a day working on my personal development when I haven't done anything on it for the last 20 years. That version just isn't going to work. Whereas experimentation can be, I'm going to try going for a walk. I'm going to try writing down three things I'm grateful for in my work at the end of the day. I'm just going to do the experiment of tracking where my work joy is and just knowing where it is and see where that gets me to. All of those little things will have greater results in the long term than anything massive will. Absolutely, absolutely. I couldn't have said it better myself. (laughs) And one thing, maybe a concept I hadn't really come across, and certainly not in the way you've described it in the book, Beth, is squads and having a squad. And I really liked this. So maybe you tell us a little bit about that. (laughs) Do you know what? It's actually, it's like a slap bang in the middle of the book. And it's so often the thing that people come back and say, oh, I really like this. I really liked it. So I think of a squad as an inner circle of your network who, if you work with these people well, if you build the right relationship with them, if they know what you're looking for, if they understand you as a person and you in work, et cetera, they will be able to provide the support and challenge you need to get whatever you want in life and in work. I think it covers all of these things. So what I think about here is who plays different roles for you. And often I think we rely on, I don't know if you have like a work BFF, like a work best friend, but people don't have every skill you possibly need. And they don't aren't able to do everything. So I think about six different roles that people in your network can play. Some people may play more than one. You might have more than one person in each of these roles. You can make it work for yourself. Some people might be people you directly work with. Some people might be ex-colleagues. Some people might be mentors or coaches or different people. Some people might be friends, family. They could come from a wide variety. And unlike a normal team, they don't actually need to know each other because their connection is you. So I think about like, you're the headliner of this squad. You're the one who's in charge of it. So I like to think about, you need in your life people who cheerlead you. You know the ones who see you through rose-tinted spectacles and they're like, you're amazing. I love everything you do. I'm gonna talk about you so positively. I literally cannot see anything you do that is wrong in the world. We all need a cheerleader. I think we all say need to be our own cheerleaders, but there's something here about having some people who give you that boost when you need it. But then I also think you need the opposite side of that. There's a lot of this, isn't there? We need both sides of things. We also need people who can say, hey, Susan, that thing you did, not cool, or it wasn't good, wasn't your best work. We need people who can go, hang on a minute, you've gone down this direction in your career, but you were really committed to doing X. What's changed for you? Should you really be 
considering that now. So there's a lot of stuff about having people are challenged. They're quite hard to find, actually. A lot of people don't have enough challenges in their squad, but people who do it because they have the intent and they want to help you do what you want to do. We have comrades, you know, those people who are in it with you. They may be the people who have sat next to you for years at work. They are the work BFF person. If you get into trouble, they're right beside you. If you succeed, they're right beside you. They're there experiencing everything. So they're the people who need to be in it with you because they need to understand the context and situation you're in. We also have creatives, and I mean this from very much a creative thinking space, not just a creative artistic mindset, but they come up with solutions. They offer you different perspectives on stuff. They're able to consider different ways of doing stuff and give you ideas. You know, when you're stuck on something, you're like, it's the person you phone, you say, talk me through what I'm not thinking about. What have I not considered here? They can be really useful. The next one I call is the connectors. And the connectors are those people who have like an amazing little black book. And you go, who do you know who? And they go, here are the three people you need to talk to, this person, this person, this person. I used to have a boss who was an amazing connector and she lived in the area where we worked. And we used to walk down the street and she would literally know everybody. Like everyone would stop her and say something to her. And it's like those people who can connect you to other people. And then finally, probably the rarest one, but I wanted to include it in here because I think it is one of those bits of magic. We call it the conjurer. There are people in our lives, and I'm sure you've experienced some of them, and normally some people can think about one or two people, who are a bit like a fairy godparent. They turn up at just the right moment, and they go, here's some resources, here's the answer, here's the question, here's the boost, here's the thing you need in this moment right now that kind of sort of super rockets you into whatever it is that you need to do. They're harder to find because you don't find them. They kind of find you and you should not try to keep hold of them. So all the others, it's like about maintaining great relationships and building new people and bringing people into your squad and out your squad. The conjurers, we need to allow them to go off and fairy godmother for other people, knowing that they will come back when you need them. And they do. Because the minute you said that, I was like, I know exactly who mine is. And this person just has the ability to appear and reappear exactly yeah. just the right moments yeah it's insane yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. the little bit of magic that yeah. comes along and some people look at me like that this is a book about work why on earth would you write about it and almost everybody i've spoken to about this has an example of at least one of these people who go away and they come back in and they're just there at the right moment in time for what you need so i think they're really important and the other thing i think is really important about your squad is there's an old saying, isn't there, like you're the product of the five people you spend the most time with. It's just a really big encouragement for me. If you're thinking about your inner network, your inner circle, we tend to gravitate towards people who are like us. That's affinity bias, right? We tend to gravitate to people who have similar backgrounds, similar experiences, etc. I would really encourage you to think about diversifying your squad. So, for example, some of the people I have challenged me are like 10, 15 years younger than me and 10, 15 years older than me. So there's some kind of age diversity, even things like if you look at the impact of having people in your squad who are from different cultures, especially people who speak different languages to you. A word in a different language can be the creative spark that you need when you say it in one language, say it in a different language, you mean totally different things and different ideas and different perspectives come up. So whatever kind of diversity it is I would just really encourage people to not just think about everybody who's like me 
Yes, think about those people and yeah, look for the, it's like a treasure hunt almost <laughs> to yes. build your squad. Yeah, yeah. They're jewels, they're people that you really want yeah. and, and the more diverse, the better almost because you don't That's want to hear is. the same thing from each one of them. Yeah, and the thing is with your squad is to also think of it as not a fixed thing. So it's not like, Susan, you are my cheerleader and you're done. At times we have people who are there for a reason, people are there for a season, people who are there for life, people move in and out of it. And that's okay. It mixes depending on what you need. And at some points, like as an example, if you're looking for a new job, you might need more connectors than you do comrades. When you're settling into a new job, you might want more comrades and cheerleaders as you get into it. So you can... I'm doing some weird thing that people won't be able to. Well, you can weave um, the magic. See. I'm like, <laughs> I'm weaving some magic. There's a little wiggle going on with my arms, with my weird flappy arms. Um, but I think that's the thing is that it's a really flexible tool to look at. And actually, if you read the book, it's got some steps to do. And with the book, there's also a free download that has a bit of work that you can do on mapping who you've already got. When people do the exercise, what they usually find is they're missing. They've got loads in one category. So you might have loads of cheerleaders but no challenges and then it's about okay could some of those cheerleaders be challenges if I gave them permission to challenge me more often or ask them to do it maybe or do I need to go and find some of these people as an example one of mine is because of the work I do because I work independently um it's actually quite hard to find challenges for me I get challenged by my clients all the time in terms of the work I do but personally finding I don't have a boss so I don't have that kind of number one person who goes let's challenge you so that's where I go and get some coaching and pay for having some coaching because that's a really good challenge for me but everyone's going to be slightly different and what you need will be different so do the mapping see who you've got and then seek out some other people Mm, yeah it's great that really stood out in the book that section and The next one that jumped out at me, because it says a lot about what I think. (laughs) (laughs) So here we are now cheerleading. (laughs) Organisations, you say, are figments of your imagination. Yeah. And people think I'm bonkers when I say I don't. (laughs) You don't. So we can get on like, I think, so. I have, I'm, I said, I'm a professional coach. I spend a lot of time talking to people about their work. Great. Spend a lot of time working with organizations. But what I actually do is I hear a lot of people say, my organization is rubbish at this, or my organization made this decision and it's not cool. And I'm like, well, an organization is not a sentient being. It cannot make choices and decisions. It is a person within that organization or a group of people within that organization that made those decisions and I worked in HR for many years and I used to hear it all the time where they said HR told me and I was I'm, my first thing was HR didn't tell you that tell me the person that told you that <laughs> or they'll go to pet managers would go to team and say HR said you couldn't do that I'm like what where does that come from so that's um, my, my first point about it is that actually an organization cannot make a decision the individuals within it do So let's just be factual about an organisation. It's a construct that we have invented for a group of people who work together. We've made it up. It doesn't exist in the natural world in the state that we create it. Now, I'm sure there's some organisational theory people that say, well, ants create organisations when they do, and they probably do. 
we probably actually probably lots of things create organization but they cannot make decisions the whole point of an organization is that it is designed to help make the work get done whatever yeah, to the organize. work is that needs to be done to org it's literally in the title yeah it is literally is in the, the title organizes yeah. the work being yeah. done so there's something to me about different organizations have different cultures that are set by the people within it and by the way as an individual you are part of the culture so if you don't like the culture you are part of it so you can choose to change that or you can choose to step out of it and go and work in a different culture that may be better suited to what you want but you are not separate from that organization and you're not separate from the culture within it again it's this personal responsibility thing radical personal responsibility is that if you don't like that organization you have two options in my head you change it from within because you're part of it or you step out of it but what I can tell you for sure is that spending your life moaning about it will change absolutely nothing (laughs) except ostracize you from people in your life yeah yeah make it harder to get a squad that helps you do the stuff that you need to do yeah Yeah. Or the squad will all be miserable too. Yes, if everyone's miserable. But I think, yeah, but the the culture piece is really interesting, Beth, because people talk about culture. Again, culture is one of those things that is very hard. It's an intangible. And yet each one of us absolutely contributes to that culture, passively or actively. And how does someone recognise that of themselves? The thing is, because it's intangible, it's a feeling versus a fact. And here's the thing. You and I could both go work in an organisation, which is designed to organise the work being done, not a being. But we could both both go and work in an organisation and have wildly different perspectives on how good or bad that organisation is. So you could be saying to me, Beth, this organisation is absolutely toxic. It's awful, etc. And I could be going, this is absolutely brilliant. Because we have different preferences, we have different needs, we have different personalities. So let's take an example here. So maybe there's an organisation that's got a really high drive for performance outcome. It's it's on the numbers and it's on the, you know, you're talking about beyond the numbers. I think we're both going to be on the same side here, but let's just take a picture. And maybe me as an individual maybe I'm really driven by seeing those numbers and I really love to know that the work I do contributes to that number so I don't mind the fact that it's quite tough because the number for me is really motivational and me knowing that if I do my 10 things here that results to this big 100 things over here I'm like this is brilliant I love it you could experience that as people not caring about humans you could experience that as not thinking about input of not worrying about the experience etc 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 and we can experience it in very very different ways I will put a caveat on that is I do think there are some absolutely terrible leaders in organizations who make organizations very difficult for most people to work in but I think that's actually quite rare Luckily, I think most organisations are full of human beings who don't get things right all the time. And sometimes we're in an organisation that doesn't suit or align to our preferences, our values, our goals, the things that we really care about. But we put the blame on the organisation, which doesn't exist, versus actually I should be doing something about this. Now, if you are in one of those terrible, toxic environments, you've got to do something around that. 
but what's toxic to you might not be toxic to everyone else. And what the problem is, is when people experience things in that way, and this toxic work environment stuff has been very fashionable to call everything toxic, it's toxic, it's toxic, is if you experience it that way, but other people don't, what people tend to do is to bring people down. So they come in and they're, they're, they're like moan and say, and then other people start noticing all this stuff. And then this whole like negative gust of wind that blows in, rather than that individual going, actually, they don't experience it the same as me. Could I look at what they're experiencing? Or could I just understand that this isn't the right environment for me? Mm. And yeah, and, and asking, what am I contributing to this environment or this culture yeah. that I'm reflecting back somehow yeah. as well? Yeah. yeah. And I've worked with people who've gone into environments which they found very, very difficult. Some of them were at a senior level. And the conversations we have are like, well, by staying, are you contributing to that? Because if you stay and accept it and just don't like it versus stay and try and change it, there's a very different attitude to how you respond to those. Yeah. And rather than waiting for someone else to come along with a solution, it's what can I do here? Yeah. yeah. And if what can I do here, the answer is I need to step out of it because it's not good for me, then great, go and do that. Yeah, go find your moments of joy elsewhere. Yeah. Go find somewhere else that does suit and does work for you. And there are, of course, people will tell me, but there's a million and one reasons why it has to be this organisation. So be like, I can't get paid the same somewhere else. I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do that. And all those things might might be factual, but quite a lot of them, we haven't actually usually done the full range of research to know what really matters. And the point is, if you choose to stay, you're choosing to stay. You are making that choice to stay in an environment that you know not is good for you. Now, maybe you do that because you've got great flexible working and that's what you really need. Maybe you do that for a number of reasons. But then realistically, and this is where I get a bit tough about stuff, is you've got to stop moaning about it when you've made that choice. So you say, I'm going to stay here because of all these other factors. Great. Appreciate those other factors. Let's not bring the vibe down for everyone else. And try and cultivate some joy. I think exactly. back to that, doing that tracking, because there will be something every day, some glimmer or something that comes yeah. through. Yeah. Yeah. And when people actually start to look for it, most people can find at least one thing every day. And it's often the people. I mean, yes. every time you go, you hear a leaving speech and I know every leaving speech I've ever done or looking back on my career, it's always the people. It's always yes. the people that make it and also <laughs> don't make it. Well, that, that's because the organisation is people. Yeah. Right? yeah if you yeah, think yeah. about it, an organisation yeah. is people. Yeah. Without people, it's not an organisation. <laughs> exactly. So I think it's cherishing your friendships at work as well. And they are... Yeah very important and finding yeah. that squad at work and if yeah. you can't at work but enough to challenge you to take responsibility yeah. and sometimes the work best friend is the reason you don't leave when you know you should for your career that's true too. So you're like these people are amazing and I, I've experienced that many times in my career where when I was employed where you're like I don't want to leave because of the people but I have to leave because I need to do the next step for my career and that's like heartbreaking but you know what the people you've worked with can be your friends. Yeah. And true Doesn't friends. Have to be work related. They will always be friends. When I started work, I trained in Deloitte and I joined a cohort of, there was, I don't know, 18 of us or something. There were nine women. And just before Christmas, seven of us met for lunch. And it's the last century since we left yeah. here, you know? <laughs> but we are still friends. Yeah. And it doesn't matter that we all left. No. What matters is that we remember who we are. Yeah. 
Yeah. And those people, I think, can be really important parts of your squad because they know you in your work context. They know you as a friend and they often become some of your best challenges as well. Yes. And cheerleaders. Yeah. <laughs> and all of them, actually, they can be all of these yeah. different things because they know you. But maybe with some distance, they can see it in a different light. Absolutely. Absolutely. They have a different perspective. Now, Beth, you also have a podcast. I do. Yes, Work Joy Jam. <laughs> the Work Joy Jam. So on uh, on my podcast, Work Joy Jam, we're uh, oh by the time this gets released, we'll be recording season eight of the podcast, and I just talk to lots of different people about what brings the joy, some of their recommendations. So sometimes it's experts on certain topics, and it's a really interesting conversation. I always say, even if I didn't put it out there, I'd probably do it anyway because it's really interesting finding out all different people, different types of people, what's their experience, like what really gets to them. So whether we're talking about like communication or we're talking about well-being, or we're talking about specific other subjects, what we usually get to is that deep understanding of that personal experience. And for me, the stories of other people are always really inspiring to hear and to give you ideas and a bit of creativity and to get you. So sometimes I think we can get in a bit of a funk about what we're a bit mere about and it gets really hard to step out of it. But hearing what someone else does and we've had people on there who work in the military. We've had people on there who work in big corporates and people who are independent and people who've had wildly different careers and then change careers and all this kind of stuff. And they've been following the, the joy as they work through. It's that context and understanding different people's situations, I think, can be really, really interesting. Absolutely. This is the reason I do my podcast is it brings me so much joy yeah. to have yeah. these conversations. <laughs> I just love it. So thank you. Now, Beth, if anyone or for those who want to know more, I should say for those who oh, want to know more, <laughs> how do they connect with you, Beth? What's the best yes. way? So a couple of ways to connect with me. First of all, would be on social media. So on social media, we're at Create Work Joy. You can find lots of stuff under there on all of the different platforms. It's always at Create Work Joy. Um, the website createworkjoy.com is where you will find the free download of where do you get yours. So do that tracking. If you do nothing else, do the tracking. Really useful. You'll also find links to the podcast, etc., on there. And um, then on LinkedIn, probably the easiest thing to do. I'm Beth Stallwood. I think I'm the only Beth Stallwood on LinkedIn so far so just connect with me on there and there is an option to follow but if you follow I don't get to connect and see what you do which is really annoying because I'm really nosy like I love people I want to know what they're up to so if you connect with me sometimes you just have to have a little note that would be great would love to hear from you and on the Create Work Joy website as well, if you ever want to have a conversation, there's a link to book in a free 30 minute chat with me as well. And then the book Work Joy, A Toolkit for a Better Working Life is out there. Wherever you prefer to buy your books, obviously the big giant of Amazon has it, but lots of smaller retailers have it as well. So there's my little pitch of where to go find stuff. Brilliant. Well, I hope everybody goes and finds you after listening to this because it was a joy to speak with you today Beth thank you so much for your time thank you so much Susan for having me on it's been lovely it's been great and it flew it absolutely flew <laughs> I know we've been like an hour yeah <laughs> sorry I'll have to cut some out I'll be too long 
No. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the paths we traversed on today's episode. If something rang through for you, be sure to let me know. Or maybe you can share this with someone in your life who would benefit from listening too. And if you enjoy helping others, I'd be so grateful if you would leave a review so that people who might also be curious about their own life beyond the numbers can discover this podcast too.